All right. So before we start talking about Fury and Lifeline, which, oh boy, do I have a lot to say about (laughs) Fury, and I'm sure Richard does too, we have um, a pretty serious announcement about Trekabout. Uh, Trekabout is not stopping, but this is going to be the last weekly episode of Trekabout for who knows how long. The foreseeable future. For the foreseeable future. That's a good way to put it. Um, We are going to start releasing bi-weekly. So the next episode of Trekabout after this one is going to come out in two weeks, and each episode will come out uh, every two weeks thereafter. Uh, Bi-weekly, semi-monthly, fortnightly, if you want to get really British about it. It's just, you know, we live on different coasts now. Uh, Richard and I work very different schedules. We have very different types of jobs now. And so it's just becoming a little bit harder to align everything to record. And instead of the podcast starting to become sporadic, we figured it would be better to go on a slightly more expanded schedule um, in order to keep bringing the show to you on a on a sort of, you know, a, a standard basis. So that's it. Nothing terrible. Do you have anything to add, Richard? No, but I know something that is terrible. Is it Fury? Yeah. My God. Oh. How terrible <laughs> is this episode? You know, it's 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 actually not a terrible episode. Well, it's, 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 like it's it's it it makes sense. It's it's well plotted. I think it's entertaining. It's just it has it, it's so it's it's so mind boggling that they thought that this was going to like why why do this to Kess? This it's has like, I don't understand it. No, this has glimmers of being a really interesting episode given that it has a lot of continuity with a lot of earlier things. I mean the. It, it, for the stuff with the doctor being a very good example of it, like they, they they know exactly what the doctor was dealing with, what the technology surrounding the doctor was. Sixty days into the mission, um, it's like turning him off and stuff. Like that's a very close detail to continuity, and it's marred by the fact that uh, Brian Fuller wrote this. I think. Yeah, Brian Fuller, and uh, I think it was co-written by by Brian Fuller and. and... Brian and Braga, maybe? So which one of them was really pissed off at their ex-girlfriend? Right. That's, well, Brian Fuller certainly wasn't. um, Uh, uh, uh. Because Brian Fuller is is a fag. Uh, And I can say that. Oh, my Um, God. No, it's, it's, he hates women. That makes sense. Like, this is an extraordinarily misogynistic episode in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm fairly sure the title is a callback to Hell Hath No Fury Like a Woman Scorned. Like, that's that's where we are in this. We are taking an interesting character and shoving everything that we like about her and, frankly, everything that makes sense about her psychic condition and shoving him out the window to half-ass something. And yeah, and and leaving aside leaving aside the question in my mind of whether or not uh, two months into their voyage in the Delta Quadrant, haha, they they knew that Cass had psychic powers because I think that that happened later, and this episode sort of like retcons that a little bit, which I is thought, fine, whatever. I not the worst they, thing about yeah. the episode for sure. I thought but, there was like some limit. They knew they had very limited psychic power, you know, maybe Beta Z level stuff. Yeah, that yeah, that could certainly be, but. I mean, let's just let's not beat around the bush. This is outright character assassination, mm. and and in a way they don't even attempt to justify. 
No, they don't attempt to justify it in any way, shape, or form. And and what's worse is that it's character assassination for no real reason. They didn't have to tell this story. Uh, why go through the trouble of bringing yeah. back the character of Cass? Why go through the trouble? Uh, the actress's name is escaping me, unfortunately. But uh, why go through the trouble of bringing her back in order to do this? It is... It is at it's simultaneously incredibly puzzling and and just angering. I I don't understand it, and I think this is like indicative of the ways in which Voyager handles its creative decisions because it's it's just puzzling. I mean, I can't Whoa. even really I can't really even get up like my my dander. About <laughs> it. It's just it's just I, I don't understand it. Well, fundamentally, let me ask a sensitive question. Um, so, Lean is last name, right? Jennifer Lean. Jennifer Lean. Yeah. Jennifer Lean. Um, she has had some troubles in the past several years, correct? And had they had that happened around the time that this episode, you know, was made? Because in some ways. With the with the subtext of what happened in real life, this is almost a shine on you crazy diamond kind of moment. This is about someone that was part of this thing. We all loved her very much. She went away to find her bliss and came back. She lived a hard few years, and it's very sad, and now we're sending her home to her family to die. Like, is that the subtext, of it, or is that just a very unfortunate coincidence? I think it's an unfortunate coincidence. I I don't believe that um, you know Jennifer Lean has had a very uh, troubled life. You know yeah. we are not making any any judgments or, or any jokes about it. I I really think it's unfortunate. I mean she's had run-ins with the law. She um, has I believe had struggles with uh, addiction and or, or mental illness. I mean there's there's a lot of serious things going on here, and I I, I don't think that she has been well treated by uh, you know subsets of the Star Trek fan community because some of them make jokes about it, and it's just it's it you know it's just not done i mean she um i think yeah. the last couple of conventions she went to were were her appearances were, were extremely bizarre I, i've never seen her at a convention because she hasn't gone in i don't know how long 10 15 years but yeah it was just there was something off about her and no one is really sure what what exactly is going on but yeah i mean they fired her from voyager and then basically, like she she worked for a few more years, but I you know I have her credits open, and she was in yeah. like the Spawn TV series for one episode. She had a couple of guest spots in like the Men in Black TV series. I mean, like it wasn't that she was you know she went from yeah. being a series regular on you know one of the flagship premier sci-fi franchises in American history to doing basically nothing and. You know, I think that you it's an interesting coincidence that Fury kind of aligns with, you know, Kess, Kess's story in Fury is that she felt like she had been taken advantage of by the crew of Voyager who indoctrinated her with their belief in exploration and all this kind of stuff. And then Sarah, un, you know, unceremoniously dumped her, which is basically what happened to Jennifer Lean. I, yeah. I don't. I don't. You know. I think it's just an. I think it's just an unfortunate coincidence that that kind of aligned with what the the path that Jennifer Lean's life took. I mean, yes and no. Just the, but because this is uh, the one with Balana doing the play, which uh, you mentioned to me afterwards. You were doing some research, and apparently that was uh, Jim Minoski's last piece before he left the show. And so there is some. Oh yeah, Muse. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and so in that light. This is about it, it, 
in that light, that kind of it's not quite fourth wall breaking, but talking about the, the subtext being about the production of the show. I feel is very intended, and so I wonder if there is a clumsy amount of that here. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know either, and I think that, that what it comes down to is that that as Voyager goes along, it seems like this was not a happy place to work. No. Or this was not a satisfying place to work, and it's starting to bleed out into the actual product, and that is a problem, I think. Yeah, everybody involved in this is just tired, and they have another season to go. Again, and there's a lot of meta-ness to that, too, considering that everybody on the crew of Voyager is tired and is ready to go home. And they have, I mean, an episode like Lifeline in which... uh what in which a character is literally allowed to travel to the Alpha Quadrant and hang out with a member of a better TV show um, is which coincidentally is not the first time that the Doctor traveled. Yeah, well, I think I think in was it Prometheus? I think that when he you know the Andy Dick EMH yeah. episode, I believe that that was technically the Beta Quadrant. But yeah, I mean you know he, he's either done way. this more than once. But either way, it's it's a much less of a deal. Like in this episode, they and his return is assured, and maybe he can even go again another month. Like that 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 this becomes more of a possibility. I mean that that's everyone's ready to go home and looking for signs of going home. Frankly, but. We're getting very far afield from this episode, which I guess the biggest problem for me is that what has Kess been doing in the past couple of years? Name me one thing she did. Who knows? Yeah. I have no idea. I mean, how, she, how did she how did she even get there? I mean, they're like 30,000 light years away from where and, they left Kess in the beginning of the fourth season. And, and you know, here. He, is, is Kes a fucking energy being or not? Because she ascends at the end of the gift and she's able to bring in a Voyager that much closer. And I can, appre- I can assume that over the past couple years she has gotten powerful enough that she can just tr- blink to Voyager if she so desires. Um, but then they go into this – I mean she's literally killed by a phaser rifle, fi- phaser shots. So she can't be that much of an energy being. Right, like did she did she become an energy being and then decide not to become an energy being and and you know I think because that's the thing I think it's 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 simultaneously confusing and and not confusing right because yeah at you know if we go back to the gift she ascended she became an energy being or so we thought she gave Voyager the titular gift which was pushing them I think ten thousand light years closer to to the Alpha Quadrant and then she went off and she she did various things for three years and now she comes back she's extremely powerful she has these extremely powerful telekinetic abilities that we had seen slowly develop over the course mm-hmm. of the first three seasons of the show and you know let's hand wave away how she got there you know whatever i mean she has a ship she decided to to become a uh a, you know she decided to become a, a a physical person again because she wanted to go back in time and that's the only way she can go back in time i mean you know you can massage it any way you want to but but i don't want to but, i guess is the problem like, i would rather <laughs> well, an episode that actually tells me what happened to her and why did she get so fucking bitter? Like, that's a story. Give the lady a monologue, for Christ's sake. Well, that's the problem is that her motivation is – is there is no motivation for this. The motivation is is laughable on its face. And 
I don't understand this episode on a fundamental level because I don't understand why they wanted to do this to Cass unless they just hated the character of Cass, which, okay, but but it doesn't make any sense. And, and I think Brian Fuller does what he can with this concept he did not originate this i i uh the story credit is brick berman and brian and braga so who the hell knows what was going on there but i i i don't like you know i i think the stuff with tuvok is is well done and it, it links up very nicely with that relationship that they had been developing over the course of the series I like the scenes between Cass and the doctor and all this kind of stuff. And I think Jennifer Lean shows once again that she is a very good actor because she she pulls off a believable I mean, I hate to use the word evil, but but there's no other word for it or angry yeah. version of Cass very, very nicely. It's it's a different version no. of Cass. But she does a good job with it. But there's nothing why? she Yeah, I was gonna say she is making the most of no material whatsoever. You're, again, the show doesn't even try to explain why she feels this way. And, I mean, I'm thinking back to The Gift, and frankly, it's... that the Most of the action of this episode is this thing is happening to me. Can the crew of Voyager stop it? And they're desperately trying to at least contain her, even for a little while longer, so she can say, you know, her last goodbyes to everyone, and she doesn't even get to finish that there so desperately. Like, that is so... uh, What she claims happened to her, I was dumped and abandoned, is so obviously not the case. And, again, I need to know what happened to her that made her blame the people who loved her and did make a home for her for a while. And, more importantly, the first iteration of Kess that comes through... All right, that's fine. Everything terrible happens to her, and she's bitter. But this new version of Kess knows that, listen, isn't she going to try and make it a priority to remember the people who loved and cared for her and do things a little more, uh, even if she doesn't know the details of what's going to happen in the next year, she will at least try and do them with a bit more thought and purpose, if you know what I right. mean. And then I'm, am I to believe that the entire time that this stuff is ha- – that she – You know, let's believe that the events of the gift happen as they do. All right. That's a physical change almost to to her. Um, But am I to believe that the same exact events happen to her in the same way and that knowing that they're going to turn her evil, she still turns evil anyway? Like what happens to her to make her forget this? It's too big of a hole for me that I I can't follow through that change in motivation the second time. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I I think it, it it's it's just indescribable. There there is no reason for it. And I mean, really, like we have to get into a situation where we have to come up with a reason. And like you know, okay, maybe she's old and she's senile or something. You know, I mean, she has like Ocampin yeah. dementia. But is that a is that a satisfying explanation? No, it's not. I mean, it's me coming up with something to try and fit make any sort of sense of why this would happen. And you know, I. It, it's just it's just lazy, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to is that this is just lazy. And it's really weird to me that that this is so lazy, but at the same time, they go to such pains to make this align with what the show looked like four years ago. I know. I like, I'll, I don't get it. I mean, look, here's my fix of the episode. It goes all, you know, something happens to Kes to make her evil and bitter, whatever. They tell the 
they tell Cass, all right, listen, you need to record this hologram or whatever. Here's what's going to happen. Old Kess is coming back, and they think that, oh, she's going to attack again. But she says, no, I remembered who I was, and listen, I'm very old for an accompan. It's time for me to die, and I'd like to die at home, which is Voyager among the people who took me in and loved me, and that's it. And then, you know, we assume that that's happened between the two episodes, and that's a send-off for the character. So would you like to to go back in time and, yes! and get a job writing for Voyager and pitch that? Because I think that's a much better ending for this episode. It's one that, that, it, I, it's one that at least fits with what the – it has a fucking theme. And it's just it, – it's so meta for the show to take one of the only characters in the show and – assassinate that character i i just i can't get over that right because like chakotay has basically no character balana torres basically has no character tom paris eh, okay is a little bit of a character harry kim i don't even know who he is you know so Cass was actually a character and i liked her a lot and then they do this and it's just like why like just i don't i don't understand the motivation here i don't get it and yeah we can go and we can say okay this is this and this is that and we have to fix this episode in these various ways and we can sit here and we can do that and we've already come up with a couple of better ways that this episode could have gone but at the end of the day it's just like why waste one of your 26 episodes on this why get jennifer lean to come back and do this because it's not like so it's just so fundamentally hostile to the audience and it's just so disrespectful to jennifer lean and it's so disrespectful to the show that i i just i don't get it and why would she come back and do this i mean i i I mean maybe she needed the work i don't know but i mean i can see that you know hey would you like to come back for an episode it'll be a week of work which you don't really have much of these days yeah yeah, sure. Hey, maybe this will be a you know pre. Maybe this will be a way that the character is going to come back if I do well, you know, and not having read the script before. I mean, I'm sure it was something along those lines. You know, uh, it's it, as you as we said, you, the production level stuff with the th- you know the two months in scenes. This was not an episode that was a filler episode that was half-assed, that was written just to be cheap. Okay, we need to get one done. Like, time was spent on this, which makes me think mm-hmm. that they thought it was a good idea. That's, I think, the worst part of that is that this is just – and it's so fucking lazy. I mean, why do she and Neelix have exactly one scene and it's at the end and it's not really much of anything? I mean – Shouldn't Neelix be a major character in this episode? I would think if this episode is about anybody, it's about Neelix and Cass. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's certainly Janeway had a very close, plenty of characters had a very close relationship with Cass, but Neelix is one of them, and he's not in this episode barely at all. Yeah, and they never really dealt with the breakup that was sort of like not really yeah. a breakup because Kess was actually the, someone else. And then it, they just were like, well, that's a good idea. Let's just keep that, right? Mm-hmm. And and I believe, you know, I, I do remember that Neelix and Kess did get a little bit of a goodbye in the gift. But yeah. yeah, you're right. Like, if you're bringing back Kess, you need to give Neelix a little bit more to do in this episode. You need to even give the Doctor a little bit more to do in this yeah. episode, I think. You know, Kess and Janeway had an okay relationship, but it almost seems like they forgot that they weren't close. Yeah. And, I, yeah, I mean, if you read this episode as an episode about Janeway and how Janeway once again makes bad decisions, I think that 
that might be what is the point of this episode. Well, if you can say anything is the point of this episode, but even that is a stretch because look it, at, it just is a stretch because she's not she's not in this episode that much, and she's not established enough in this episode to make her the focal point of this episode. And this could have, I mean, Cass could have been anybody. I, I don't I don't think it needed to even be her. And yeah, I mean Jennifer Lean gamely goes around and skulks around and does various things and, you know, it, it puts her puts her previous self in a drawer and all those kind of things and it's creepy and off putting. But at the end of the day it's in the service of a really, really terrible idea. Yeah. I this is the second time that we've had a returning character come back this season. Like that that seems to be one of their go-to plots this uh this season, but in this version it's Kess and it's shitty, and the other version it was Harry Kim's girlfriend who never existed before. Like they really don't know how to write that story. Yeah, and I think it's just a situation where they're really just floundering at this point. I I, I don't I mean I don't think it's co- a coincidence that that this season is the season that basically had two episodes that weren't about Voyager whatsoever or three yeah. episodes really if you count blink of an eye because I don't think I don't think they care and at this point I just don't think that they are interested enough in making Voyager interesting. I think they've essentially written the show off and they're just kind of like gamely trying various things. I mean, I they introduced the Borg children, they have an entire episode around Icheb. They just yeah, like I and I can imagine this kind of thing written with a kind of DS9 style I where DS9 was able to just check in with different characters in various areas and imagine if this was a show and lifeline I think we'll talk a little more about this but imagine if there was more of a focus on what's going back at home and here's what the Borg children are doing and if it had been a hangout show in that way like I don't know this this premise just has so much potential that the and they don't know what to do with it yeah it's 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 just it's, it's just squandered awful. this is a squandered show well, it's a squandered episode, and it's a squandered show in a lot of ways. <laughs> I don't know. We could keep beating up on Voight Fury, but but I think that it's probably time to to move on to Lifeline. Uh, I will say though that I mentioned this briefly, but I, I I do like the way they use Tuvok and Fury, and I think that you know they don't. It's one of it's 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 a rare example of Voyager being subtle and. He's not telegraphing anything that he's doing yeah. in the episode. He's just variously off and, you know, mentions the Delta Flyer in the past and things of that nature. It's a little unclear exactly what's going on, but the implication is that he's sort of picking up on some things yeah. that, that Kess is giving him. And I, you know, it's it's a rare example of a of a callback in Voyager that actually works, and I, I, I liked it. Yeah. No, that kind of worked to me. Um, it's weird that both episodes this week have at least a mention of the the Vidians and the Phage, uh, which, if I remember right, was cured by Jason Alexander. Yes, that is true. <laughs> they and again, the Vidians were another thing they didn't know really what to do with. They didn't really know how to make a recurring antagonist at that point or at all. Um, and then they just had it solved by one of the worst guest characters of, in the series off screen yeah, that that pretty much sums it up all right well let's move on to lifetime before we do that i do want to take an opportunity to remind you that this podcast is supported by you listening to this so please pull your car over right now get off your bicycle 
when you get access to Wi-Fi again after your flight, go to patreon.com slash show and give now. So after Fury, which was whatever that was, uh, Lifeline is good, I think. And it really shows fundamentally how they should have just sent Voyager back to the Alpha Quadrant already. Yeah, they 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 would have had to ju- Frankly, if they had, they would be able to have a nice, easy cast change in a couple of ways. Take out Harry Kim, take out Tom Paris, take out, you know, add in add in Marina Sirtis as the counselor that the ship desperately needs, and there you go. Um, I liked this episode a lot because it is, in a way, a comedy episode. It's not, I mean, yes, we have the serious stuff about, you know, Dr. Zimmerman is dying of a disease and this father-son stuff, but this isn't anything too ponderous or heavy. It doesn't exactly – I don't know if this is the most ambi- – this isn't a particularly ambitious episode, but I think it does what it sets out to do very well, which is more than I've felt about Voyager in a while. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean I think that that if you look at this episode as we are going to tell a quiet character story about the Doctor – um, it works, and I think it succeeds very well. It is a little bit of a comedy episode, of course. Dr. Zimmerman and yeah. the Doctor together are, are the odd couple, and they don't really get along very well until they do, of course. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's a rare example of Voyager doing world-building well, and yeah. it extrapolates out from uh, you know, the, the, the episode where the Doctor was having those hallucinations and then... Uh, also uh, Pathfinder from from earlier in the season. And I think that it works extremely well. You know, I, I... I mean, it even picks up the theme on the Andy Dick episode where, oh, there's a Mark II, and we learn in the background there have been at least two more models, and the, that was the beginning of the Doctor fearing obsolete. This is even, frankly, a pickup of Virtuoso, which is the theme about, well, the Doctor is technologically obsolete, but still, as a person, he's wonderful kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. And and I think that it, it does tie together a lot of things that we have seen in Voyager and ties them into very well. I mean, there's also a little bit of, you know, the doctors once again trying to, to get respect or, or rights as a holographic entity. I mean, all of, all of these things are really just tied together very nicely in this episode. And, you know, it has Marina Sirtis in it. We love Marina yeah. Sirtis. It has Barkley. We love Barkley. Well, maybe we don't love Barkley, but... <laughs> you love Barkley. <laughs> I don't love Barkley. Uh, <laughs> Why do you I, people love I, Barkley? I, I hate Barkley. Eh, he's all right in these episodes. I, I think, actually, episode. I like the Voyager version of Barkley yeah. a lot more than I like the TNG version of Barkley. <laughs> well, because he's in a... Barkley is the kind of person who really needs to be in a particular kind of environment, and... This is much closer to that. He's good at dealing with these problems. He's not really good at his personal life, and he needs Deanna Troy to be able to intervene from every so often. But, you know, I mean, I'm frankly shipping Barkley and the and the assistant in this episode. I think that— Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to do really well together. Um, and I think Barkley works really well— in this season, in this episode, because he's foiled against some people who are, in a way, more annoying than he is. 
Oh, for sure. I think that, <laughs> like that when, is a really yeah, like that works. That's a really good point. Actually, he's the sane man Bart, against Zimmerman. Like, and that, yeah, you know. yeah. Like, like Zimmerman is is less annoying and more annoying than Barkley for sure. The Doctor is more annoying than Barkley. Uh, I think the iguana is the most annoying character of all. But you know, it's funny because if you think back to Doctor Bashir, I presume from DS Nine, which featured Zimmerman, and that was sort of a you know you didn't know who that was at the time, or yeah, I told you, but it was sort of like okay, and we get that character again. Now, I think it's about three years later, so that actually lines up very nicely with. Um, when he says he hasn't left Jupiter Station in three years, I guess the last time he left was when he went to DS9. But it it just kind of is a nice thing that that it makes um, it, it 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 makes the world of Star Trek feel a little bit more dynamic. And I think that part of what makes Voyager so uh, unsatisfying is that it really does feel like it's this pocket universe that isn't touched by anything else that we have come to know from star trek oh you know tng takes place in this universe and has reestablished the 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 star trek universe for for a new era ds9 did its own take on that and now we have voyager doing the same thing and it once again i mean like i said earlier it just really feels like they should have sent voyager back to the alpha quadrant already because they obviously want to send Voyager back to the Alpha Quad. Yeah. You know, now it's a nice little cheat that they get Dr. Zimmerman in this episode. It's a nice little cheat that they can get Barkley and Marina Sirtis, Deanna Troy in this episode. But I don't think that we should be as ecstatic as spending time with characters that we know from previous Star Trek series as we are. I know. Is When you have something like, oh, well, Deanna Troy is going to be on Voyager, that sounds like a sign of. Like, oh, God, they're doing def- everything desperate they can to make people watch this show. And, I mean... And and to be... I mean, to be fair, DS9 sometimes did the same thing, they but... They literally made Worf a major character. It's true. Now, I, I would argue that DS9 did not need Worf, but I don't think he harmed the show in any way, shape, or form. DS9 had its own identity by that point, and... Could could take no. adding Worf as a character and could do new things with him. Whereas, if Voyager added Deanna Troy as a main character, do you think that they would do anything interesting with her? I I, I don't. I mean, you know, I, I just think that. And and the thing is, though, they easily could have because how many times has the fact that there is no counselor been even addressed in show? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, let's let's talk about. Dr. Zimmerman and the Doctor in this episode because I, I I do think that it's a really nice episode for the Doctor. It it allows him to in a way this is the culmination of a lot of the Doctor's storylines. This is him, you know, going back, meeting his father essentially. He gets a really nice moment with Janeway where he argues his case and she decides yeah. with him to send him back, which is, you know, I always like when the Doctor and Janeway have scenes because they're very well done usually and they're very interesting. And, and then frankly, he goes back. Well, and, and I like that scene in particular because it's very much argued from the fact of can this person afford to take a month off? I mean, the fact that he is a hollow is not even men- – is only mentioned as it, be- as it being a possibility that he can get over she yeah. is she is fully recognizing of his rights, which does need to highlight against uh, Zimmerman's treatment of his conditions. But I'm glad that she is fully over it. 
And uh, well, yeah, for sure. And I also think that it's nice that Dr. Zimmerman's problems with the doctor are not necessarily because he is a hologram. Yeah. I think that if if anybody was going to respect holograms, it would be Dr. Zimmerman. And it's, it's a very, very smart decision to make his valued and trusted and loved and respected assistant a hologram yeah. it it is it establishes dr zimmerman as oh he doesn't have a problem with the doctor because he's a hologram he has a problem with the doctor because he feels that the doctor is is coming back from a previous failure of his that is really reminding him that he is not infallible and yeah it's like do you want to do would you really want to hang out with yourself from college Right, exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> oh my God, it's, uh. it makes it makes a lot of sense in that context. But I think that where the the this is not a fault of the episode. This is a fault of Doctor Zimmerman, and I think it is intended that he does not realize that the Doctor is not just an EMH Mark One. He has become something else. You know, there is this idea that has really been seeded throughout Star Trek and especially in Voyager that the longer a hologram runs the more they become a real person. And that is, that's something that I, I have trouble with sometimes. But I mean, very, you know, most recently, I think, uh, you know, the two episodes of Fairhaven that featured Fairhaven yeah. are a little bit, you know, that, that, and all about that. But I like that Haley is a, is a hologram and she's been running for a long time. And also that, that, Barkley realizes that that is going to be how he can convince Zimmerman or how he is starting to convince Zimmerman that the doctor is is different from just a random EMH Mark one because he has been running constantly for six years at this point. Yeah. And I also wonder if there's like they make a big deal at the at in his in the doctor scene with seven of nine that oh well we can't let you we have to you know take away some things just you need to pack super light uh so some of the most obvious signifiers that he has done more his uh singing voice and his penis specifically um have been (laughs) left behind i mean he has to argue his dignity without parlor tricks in a way that is true yeah because it's it's it, it it really I think that's actually really smart because the episode is saying that the doctor is a person even though he can't yeah. sing and all these additions to his program are not there. He he fundamentally is just an EMH at this point. He is back to his core programming in a sense, and he is still himself. He is still more than yeah. what he was designed to be. And I always struggle with the idea that the doctor could just have parts of his personality stripped away. I think it's, it's a little bit odd, Um, uh, but it makes sense for the episode, I think. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that I, I I mean, I can use it in analog as, you know, on the human body. Oh, there's certain muscle memories and certain uh, techniques that, you know, intellectually. And if, yeah, I mean, I've forgotten stuff, right? Like I've forgotten, uh, if you had to do algebra right now, you probably would have forgotten it. From, you know, this everything you learned from high school from that, just out of lack of practice. I'd assume it just feels something like that. Carry, carry the two. That's X the vision. Why a squared plus b <laughs> squared plus c squared equals q squared? Oh, was q squared an episode in which there are four of them? <laughs> that would be terrifying. Well, leaving all that aside for a minute, I want to briefly touch on the 
very minor B plot in this episode, mm. which is basically one scene and involves, I think, Janeway hitting on Chakotay. <laughs> well, you know, there was that. I did find it funny when they said, we've got news from the Alpha Quadrant and everybody's all smiles. And I'm like, we know what the past few years were like in the Alpha Quadrant. And even though the Alpha Quadrant's in a rebuilding year and, you know, they can definitively say, we've got in peace with the Dominion and stuff, uh, it would still be troubling to learn what the war is, you know, that that happened. And, well, they did have contact before and they did know that the Dominion War happened. I mean, let's not forget yeah, the episode fair. where, where Bolana found out that the Maquis were completely destroyed and everyone she knew was killed. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess that's, uh, so the, the, the one scene that you're mentioning is when, uh, She's showing Chakotay the briefing, uh, and he's asking, yeah, what's going on? What happened? What's up with the Maquis on your ship? How is that? And, I mean, there, she's certainly taking it as uh, a suggestion that they do still want to legally deal with what the Maquis did at that point. Uh, and I'm wondering if it's it, – it may be – you know, could it be that or could we also read it as the admiral saying, like, is this a problem? Are you OK? Like, have you figured have you solved that situation? Yeah, I, I don't I, you know, I yeah, think that, he... that Jane, Janeway's read on it is is a little dramatic. I mean, I think that that she is I can see Janeway be I mean, Janeway doesn't really have a lot of patience for for yeah. subterfuge and she doesn't really have a lot of patience for people that are sort of like bad mouthing her and so i can see her reading the admiral and just you know saying okay well maybe that's not exactly what he was meaning to say but i think it was what he was meaning to say so i'm going to read this in the most uncharitable light possible and maybe i can ask chicote to sexily help me draft a response to him uh, uh, uh. um but because I still maintain that Janeway and Chakotay were totally flirting in that scene, but well, that that's a that's a fun riff out of the muse. But we'll we'll go into that another day. Yeah, exactly. But I I think the most interesting part of that scene actually is when Janeway says, "I don't think of you as Maki," and, and Chakotay says, "Yeah, but we haven't forgotten that we're Maki," and that's kind of weird. I like. I, I, well, you know, it's like, I mean, to me, that almost is reminding me of people saying, well, I don't think of you as gay. I just think of you as a person. Like, what's like, you know, this may never directly come up in our interactions, but I know who I am. I know where I've been. I know what decisions I've made at certain times in my life. And I know what I've, you know, at, at this point to say I'm Maquis still means that. I felt that this Federation policy was wrong and I am willing to go against that if I believe that kind of th – I mean I yeah. think that's part of it. Yeah, I think that's part of it for sure and I, I, I do like that – I mean one of the things that the show has always uh, consistently if not done a lot is have Bellana really kind of use Chakotay as a sounding board. You know, that relationship is not – used very much anymore but it is still yeah. there and that is because they were maquis together and you know i i don't i don't think that chakotay and balana and the rest of the maquis on the ship are, 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 are like as soon as they get back to the alpha quadrant they're not yeah. going to like you know go off and and become maquis again i i just don't yeah. see that happening especially you know, who, because who knows what's going to happen but well, especially because the circumstances which created the Maquis are irrelevant now, which they will learn when they come back. 
Yeah, I mean, they they probably don't know the extent to which Cardassia has been basically destroyed. Yeah. They don't really know the extent to which the, the, the circumstances by which the Maquis came into being are completely gone now. And they have also gotten a lot of experience being on a Starfleet ship yeah. for six years. You know, they did renounce their Federation citizenship to essentially become terrorists against the Federation, but at the same time, they were thrown back into the Federation, and I think that, you know, it's kind of like... Yeah. They're they're expats in a way. Yeah, they are. They are not against the ideals of the Federation. They were against a specific policy of the Federation. And so, when they get back to the Alpha Quadrant, I'm sure that they're going to have to deal with the legality of what they did. But I would not be surprised, and I, you know, I actually would be very surprised if they didn't get full pardons. Do you know? Yeah, what I mean? especially with. I mean, I I think Janeway has made it very clear at some point that she is going to be intervening as much as is humanly possible after you know when they get back and frankly this will be at a i mean politically this is going she Janeway says you know oh well these people were maki but they've served with distinction on my crew and they've come back after many years and they just wish to be part of the federation again i mean nobody will nobody would want to go against that i mean you know Bellana and Chicote are certainly go- certainly should be able to write their tickets on any starship they want to be on, and maybe they have to. Maybe there would be some kind of service kind of punishment for them where they do have to. But I think they can consider their time on Voyager to be time served. Yeah, I think so too. And and it is interesting to me that that Tom Paris also has a brief line in this episode where he's sort of you know. Uh, worried about it as well and and i think that 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 is indicative of how close they are getting to being back home you know i think that yeah they are still thirty thousand light years away from the alpha quadrant but but as you have said you, you know it is it is all but guaranteed that they are going to get home at the end of the series i, I don't think that the series is going to yeah. end with them still continuing to, to try and get back to the alpha quadrant i mean that would be sort of the daring creative choice and you know, Voyager's many things, but but daring creatively is not one of them. So yeah, like the last very last episode, they have to fly back to the Delta Quadrant to save the de- caretaker, and they do it because that's what they do. <gasps> <laughs> well, maybe we'll see. Oh no, that's not the ending, is it? No, it's not the ending. I'm not going to pretend that it is the ending. <laughs> I I have a lot of problems with the last episode of Voyager. Surprise, surprise! But we will get to that when we get to it. Well, well, leaving that aside, let, let's go back uh, to Jupiter Station again, because this episode also establishes something kind of disturbing about the EMH Mark Ones, which is that they were all like sort of deprogrammed to be doctors yeah. and are now sort of doing manual labor. And uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it, it's a that's a thing. Um I mean they're slaves, right? Like they're slaves? Yeah, I mean it's 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 as that's a troubling policy for the federation to have. Yeah, it's one thing to create holographic emergency doctors, but it's another thing to like keep them on forever just to be scrubbing plasma conduits. I, I, I don't... mean, did they, they they don't need emergency med- emergency hologram nurses i mean they, 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 right. there is no there is the emh mark four whatever is so great that they've they have no more no 
extra assistance. I mean, certainly a Mark One can deal with the common cold. Um, you know, I especially at the end of Virtuoso, which very explicitly has the Federation people believing that just because you're a quote unquote obsolete model does not mean that you have you know, you have nothing to offer. You actually do have so much to offer and just a better version of that isn't necessarily better. And then to find out that that's the Federation's policy. Yes. And I, I, I think that, that a lot of it comes down to the fact that Voyager and Star Trek in general have not they, basically like this is spinning out of control and they don't know what to do about it. They, yeah. they have, they keep piling up this stuff about holograms and they just, don't have any sort of cohesive theory about it in mind. And so they keep doing things that are more and more disturbing and they don't have a way to get out of it. And this is another example of that where, okay, well, we've established that holograms can be quote unquote real people. We've established that holograms can program themselves. We've established that holograms can do things that people can do. And now we are establishing that an entire town of fictional holograms have rights and responsibilities, Fairhaven. And then we get to this episode where they are essentially reprogramming an entire generation of holograms to be slaves. And like they just keep piling on and they don't (laughs) think they realize they're doing it. I mean, here's the thing. Like, okay, my my computer was clogged with a bunch of stuff. So we reformatted it, reinstalled Windows, everything. I felt no guilt or qualms about that you know the night before i did it i'm not thinking this is this computer's last night and it's good because we don't ascribe sentience to this right um and in the federation they now they do ascribe sentience at least to certain things but like to me it seems like why didn't they just turn off all of the old emhs okay well that would be like killing them so we're going to sell them into plasma slavery like is that <laughs> that that seems to to be the, the the where the logic is going you would think that if it, they if they really cared about the if they didn't want to shut these people off because they felt that they were people well then give them something else to do. Can't you even just put them on a uh what is that thing where it's like it has your computer like look through DNA strands to cure cancer? Like put them on yeah. that project. Yeah. Well, it's like I mean, it, it it is so like obviously one of the worst things that they could come up with for them to do that it is like not exactly what would actually happen, right? I mean, it's like oh, they're scrubbing plasma conduits, well, so that is like the worst thing they could possibly do and it's so obviously engineered and designed and written to horrify the doctor and it, it works but like the other part of it too is is who was doing this work before well and that's your that you've said this who cleans the toilets in the federation we now have the answer so so are we supposed to believe that like holograms are doing all of the dirty work i mean i i don't i don't <laughs> i don't buy that i mean well it not yeah. like not to be funny about it but no, it's just like that that would mean that like they would have holographic generators in every bathroom in the federation and i don't think they do so i just think it's like a wet room and you just push a button it's, it's like those um it's like those toilets in uh and they have in paris where you, you put a euro in and then you go in and then it's like it has like a sanitized feature and it basically just like sprays cleaning solution all over <laughs> i think that's what happens no, in federation bathrooms but it's it would you know if there's sonic showers which remove dirt from bodies there must be something similar that's going to remove dirt from a toilet germs from a toilet um and 
is I mean is scrubbing a plasma conduit so, because because we can we can posit a cleaning solution that does not require sentience, right? Um also also why do they need to scrub plasma conduits because isn't plasma like one of the hottest things known to every like it, it just doesn't make any sense like why would there be residue they would need to clean anyway I, just, I don't know I don't know it's just it's stupid okay <laughs> it, 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 it it's Again, maybe it would have made more sense if they'd said, you know, yeah, they were all turned off and decommissioned. But, like, again, it's it's just, they're janitors now. Yeah, and also, isn't that, like, super classist? I mean, I don't want to be all, like, like millennial about it. And, like, <laughs> no, be, like, it is. All, like, like, virtue signaling and stuff. But uh, isn't that, yeah, that's kind of gross. It's like, oh, no, they're janitors. They're doing manual labor now. You know, I don't know. The whole thing is just weird. I mean, is... Is that an unspoken thing in Star Trek? Is that even a utopian society still has to have an underclass in order to function? Um, I I'm, think that that is probably a larger conversation that we can have at this point. That to me, I mean, yes, in, in, in real talk, that is – this line comes more – says more about the writer's unspoken assumptions than it does about a deliberate bit of world building, I think. Yes, because we have seen farmers in the Federation and there's nothing uh, that is not seen as an undesirable thing to do. We have seen people running restaurants in the Federation that is not seen as an undesirable thing to do. So I think that I mean, I can certainly make an I can certainly see an argument to be made that like people would choose to be janitors in the Federation because it's kind of just meditative work that you can do without really thinking about it as you're doing it and you can then spend your time on other things and again technology would take care of a lot of the grosser bits of it it's true i mean because let's be clear i mean there is a satisfaction involved in cleaning things oh yeah I, i you know, I mean, putting on some music and going to town on your floor can be, you know, not that I do it every week, but it, it can be something that is satisfying because when you're done, you have seen that you have had a clean floor now. So, you know, I think there are ways to massage this fundamental hole in the Federation society as it is portrayed in Star Trek, but I don't think that developing a race of holographic slaves is the answer to that hole. All right, well, I think we'll call it an episode. If you have any thoughts on Fury or Lifeline, jump over to the post for the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. As we said earlier, this podcast is supported by you, the listeners. Please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Truckaboutshow is our username in all those places. And as always, you can leave us an Apple podcast review for Truckabout. Thank you. Next week, we have done it, Richard. It is the end of the second to last season of Star Trek Voyager. I'm happy. Only I'm happy. Twenty twenty eight episodes of Star Trek Voyager to go. So many episodes. That's next fourteen episodes of Trek About, which since we are now bi weekly, will be in twenty eight weeks. That is very very true. Next week, we say goodbye to the Brannon Braga era of Star Trek Voyager. We're going to be talking about The Haunting of Deck 12 and Unimatrix Zero.